Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I am going to be giving a recap on Wednesday's Thunder Lakers game as well as talking about the Oklahoma City Blue and their season opener this morning. So I'm going to be giving you guys up-to-date info on that game as well as some names to keep tabs on for the contest and really the whole entire time in the bubble. But anyways guys just going right into the game. The Thunder they walked into the Staples Center on Wednesday with one thing on their minds. They wanted to get revenge on the defending champs. They lost by Seven points on Monday in OT. They had the game in their grasp and they let it slip away. They didn't want to do that again. So they got in here. They wanted to get straight down to business. However, no Shea Gilgis Alexander in this game for the Thunder. They had a point Diallo bringing the ball across the timeline for the boys in blue as well as well as having Kenrich Williams fill in for Teo Maladone again. And you got Dort, Baisley, and Horford lining up against the Lakers. The Lakers, they still had AD out. So it helped out a little bit. But you, you still had LeBron James you had to deal with. You still had Schroeder, Harrell. A lot of great guys you got to go toe-to-toe with. But Oklahoma City started out strong. They have had, I'd say like four or five consecutive games where they just jump out to quick runs. This was the same exact thing. They got on a... 12 to 4 run to open the game up and it was just in the first four minutes that they were doing this and they continued to just pile on offensively against the lakers through one they were up 14 points 37 to 23 and it was coming off 55 percent shooting from the field as well as shooting 44 percent from downtown so their unique mix of shots really just helped them to find the open man because as soon as they started kind of dialing in inside they would take it back outside get the wide open look as soon as the lakers are closing out on the perimeter you attack the basket so 11 of their 15 first quarter field goals came assisted everyone was spreading the love around and that's what you got to do when you have a major player out like shea gilgis alexander and kenrich williams He's kind of the guy who took the torch in the first. He had 11 points on four of five field goal shooting, hitting it from downtown, working his way in penetrations, and even just working in the mid-range. He did it all for the team in the first 12 minutes, and it really helped them out. And they continued to just keep piling on points against the Lakers. They built as high as a 20-point lead in the second off of two quick fire threes from Al Horford and Darius Miller, but a quick 8-0 Lakers run trimmed that deficit down to just 12, and then it turns into a tug of war. Nobody had real footing on this little 12-point hold until the final minute of the half because the Lakers, they got a couple shots going. They had the game down to six points with 3.2 seconds left on the game clock. However, Hamadou Diallo went up for a shot and just got smacked by Contavious Caldwell-Pope. They reviewed the play, and it was a flagrant one. So Diallo, he had two trips at the line, 
and nails them both. And because it's a flagrant one, the Thunder get the ball back. They just chuck it right back into Diallo. He gets it around the top of the key, grabs it, immediately dashes into the lane, and flips up a beautiful layup, gets it to go, and builds the lead back up to 10. The Thunder on the high side, 67 to 57, entering that second half. And a key factor in OKC's really just statement lead through the first two just came from the passing game. Told you how they had 11 of 15 assisted in that first quarter. Let's look at it as a whole. They had 27 field goals made through two. 18 of those came assisted. So 66.666, whatever you want to call it. Those all came off assists. Everyone wanted to get touches in and they were not afraid to give up a good look for a great look. The Lakers, they were not really trying to do that. They were just doing their own thing, trying to scrape up points. They're always going at it from the free throw line to try to get stuff to go. And that's what they did. They did it on Monday, did it again here. They had 19 attempts at the charity stripe in that first half. And they made 15 of them. Thunder, on the other hand, they only shot seven free throws through that first half. Of course, they hit all seven. But that's still a large lead. They got a plus eight differential off the line. And it helped make up for their piss poor shooting from outside. They shot four of 16 from downtown. And it was due to great defense by the Thunder lineup. The Lakers, they changed gears in this third quarter. Did it again on Monday. But now they won the work inside. Paid off. They went on a quick 8-2 run to erase the Thunder's 10-point lead to just four. And through the course of their third quarter, I mean, 16 of their 23 points just came right around the basket. And and it really put this game on hijinks. Luckily for the Thunder, they were pretty disciplined on defense. So sure, they allowed a lot of points inside, but what they didn't do was they didn't force any contact or throw their bodies at any Lakers defenders. The refs, they had no room to BS a call into the Lakers' hands. They only shot one free throw in the third quarter. So the Thunder were still right in this game, actually leaning entering the fourth quarter of the game. And in the fourth quarter, Montrez Harrell, he wanted to go take over. He had six quick ones for the Lakers, and it gave them their first lead of the game since the opening stages of the first quarter. And that's due to the Thunder slipping into a five-shot cold spell. Lou Dort, though, he was able to pick up the pace. He got a couple of nice layups to go for the Thunder late in the fourth quarter, as well as getting an and-one to go to put his team up one point with under a minute to go. And that's when Kyle Kuzma, he was a little bit angry. He wanted to fire back. He gets a great look at the right baseline. He has Darius Baisley on him. Puts a little bit of a dribble move on him. Baisley gets caught up. He goes, he goes like way off. He kind of gets his ankles snapped. I mean, he's wobbling over to Al Horford under the basket. Kyle Kuzma's left on an island. Sky's up for the shot. He misses it, and Al Horford, he comes down with the board, and then he gets two free throws off an intentional foul, buries them both. So the LA Lakers have a three-point deficit they got to clean up pretty much in one possession here, and LeBron James, 
He wants the ball. He wants to take that shot to get them back in the game. So he kind of strolls up the court. He has Montrez Harrell set a screen right on his man, Lou Dort. And Lou Dort just gets straight up caught in Harrell's web. He's not able to get around him. LeBron James is left with a wide open three from the left wing. Goes up, gets it. Game is deadlocked. And this is when OKC, this is their make or break moment. Lou Dort wanted it. He was hot. He said, I'm taking it. Get out the way. Let me work. He drains the clock down from 16 seconds all the way to like two or something. He's wanting to recreate LeBron James's jumper. He flips up a three-point shot. And as time expired, he missed it. So the game ends up going into overtime again. We saw it on Monday. History repeats itself again. Very similar stuff from game one to game two. And there was little separation between the two sides. If you guys remember on Monday, Lakers got in a quick 7-0 run in the first three minutes. And you called it quits there. Did not happen. One shot for one shot. Eye for an eye. Tooth for a tooth. This one was all tightened up until LeBron James... He got his way inside. The Thunder swarmed him on the penetration. You had like two or three guys trying to defend LeBron. And that left Wesley Matthews wide open in the corner. He gets the ball and he keys it in. Three-point lead for the Lakers with just over 40 seconds to go in the game. And the Thunder, they wanted to kind of ease this down. They wanted to get a quick layup. And they did. Lou Dort goes in, attack mode, puts it in. It's just a one-point Lakers lead at this point. And LeBron James, he wanted to put the dagger into the thunder. He made the clutch shot in regulation. Let's see if he can do it again. And he called everybody off. He wanted an isolation with Lou Dort on the right baseline. So he's ticking the time down. He doesn't want the thunder having any real shot at being able to Creating offense out of the fast break. If they get the ball, it's going to be out of half court. And they're not going to have much time to work with. So, he ends up just stalling out. And then he finally goes up for the shot on Lou Dort. 21 footer. And it's an air ball. Lou Dort clamped up LeBron James. He's waving his arms all around his face. Trying to bait you know, him trying to go up for a shot right as he tries going up for a shot. Lou Dort's going to pull his hands back. And what is he going to do? Go cry? I don't know. But great job kind of just getting him all flustered up. Wasn't able to get a good look when time was expiring. So Thunder end up grabbing it. Kenrich Williams actually corralled the board, but he made a pivotal mistake. He gets it and then he just starts running up the court with the ball. He's bouncing it, dribbling, goes about 10 feet or whatever. And then the Thunder call a timeout. It only took him like 0.7 seconds to get the timeout off. However, since Williams got the ball, clearly had possession and started taking it across the floor, the ball could not be advanced. It had to be thrown in from the other sidelines. They had to go across the court in just about four seconds to get the W. And off the timeout, you got Kenrich Williams trying to inbound the basketball. He couldn't really chuck it all the way down court. You couldn't see it on camera, but trust me, you got a swarm of three guys just 
piled up. You don't really have a quality pass there. He needed to throw it down the floor because he ran out of options. And the only man he had left was Al Horford. Al Horford crept down. Appeared to have some sort of room here. Was not open though. Um, but he needed to, he needed to just chuck it in. We've seen Williams missile in kind of controversial passes late in the ball game, and it worked out. He tried playing the odds in this one, and it did not work. LeBron James, he baited the passing lane the whole time. He's able to get his right hand all over the ball. It goes flying. It's about to hit the out-of-bounds line. He goes diving, flips it back in the floor. Williams gets the ball, has about a second or two to work with. So he's marching up the floor, gets about to the half-court line, but he didn't realize how much time was left. So time expired before he got the shot off. So game over. Didn't even get an attempt. Lakers end up winning this one. 114 to 113 after being down 20 points in the second quarter. So very devastating. You can't be complaining though. You want all your young guys getting the experience in and battling with some of the best of the best. You don't get the W. But in turn, you're getting a couple lottery balls you can use in a couple months from now. So you can be optimistic with that one. This is by no means a bad loss. So when we're looking at the stats, very good night for a lot of players. And you got to start with Kenrich Williams. Told you how he got hot early, but he kept it up for all four quarters plus the overtime period. He ended the night on 11 of 14 shooting. That netted him a career high of 24 points. Got a couple threes, two or three from out there, and then he worked his way to the interior to try to create. And he had some beautiful post moves he was actually putting on display. When he's all caught up, you know, you only got one pivot foot to work with. He was milking the time down. It was, you know, I don't even know. He's like tap dancing with his, uh, with his other foot here. Still pivoting around though. Able to like post spin, get the shots he wants, he gets it to go. And when he's right under the rim, pump fake a couple times until you get the opportunity you like. And he gets it, he's going to go up with it, and he will make you pay. Wasn't just on offense where Kenrich Williams was balling out though. He had a lot of deflections in this game. And he actually had three steals attached to his name by the end of the night. Al Horford too. I mean, he actually led the Thunder as well as, I think it was a tie with LeBron James for most points in the contest. He had 25 on 11 of 18 field goal shooting, 8 assists, 8 rebounds, and a game high of 4 steals in the game. Did it all in just 34 minutes as well. And the funny thing, I mean, Al Horford, he's probably the most, one of the most unathletic bigs in the NBA right now, especially when you're assessing all these starting centers in the league, there's just one starter who I'm giving Al Horford the edge on athletically, and his name is Marcus Saul. You know who Al Horford was going up against last night? Yeah, it was Mr. Gasol. So Al Horford, he was viable, not just on pick and pops, but he was rolling in, and Gasol could not keep up with him. I cannot believe it. But that's actually what was going on. Great in the pick and roll. He had a thunderous two-handed jam in the game off of the P&R. Then also, just posting up down low. Gasol, I mean, sure, he's a body, but he was not contesting too well. So he was just going up with the little hooks, the flip shots, even getting some post fades 
out of the way to connect on some shots here. And even on defense, helping out with those four big steals. Lou Dort keeping up with this defensive trend. He was locking down LeBron James pretty much the entire night. Playing on the number one option whenever James wasn't on the court. He's taking, I don't know, he's taking Schroeder, he's taking Harrell. He's taking whoever Mark Dagnalt says, oh yeah, this is the guy in the game plan who we're most afraid of. Dort wants that challenge. He took it right then and there. And even in the clutch, he looked very good. He was not doing that great to start out the night. He was 0-5 from downtown through the game. And there was a point in the fourth quarter where it actually seemed beneficial to the team to just pull Dort out of the rotation. Maybe throw somebody out out there. Test, uh, I don't know about Justin Jackson or whatever, but whenever Kenrich Williams was off and Dort was on, there was a real case that Williams should just play the whole fourth quarter and see where it goes without Lou Dort. But then he turned up. Inside, he shot 7 of 12, and he more than covered the cost of not doing that well from the perimeter. Biggest play of the night from him, definitely stopping LeBron James on the 21-foot turnaround. If he nails that one, you might as well write the game off. Obviously, you know, he missed and the Lakers still won, but if that ball goes in, this would be very different. I mean, it's a crucial part of the game. Shows you how much he's developed in the clutch. Taking arguably the greatest basketball player of all time and making him look like Kyle Singler for just a split second in time. Not a great shot from him, and it showed if you look at the replay. Great stuff from Dort. Cannot be complaining about him. Hamadou Diallo, once again, very impressive. He finished with 15 points on 5 of 13 shooting, and he had a game high of 13 rebounds. That's the 11th straight game Diallo has had a double-digit total in the scoring column, and it's the third double-double he has had in the last four games. You've seen two with points and rebounds, and when we first saw Point Diallo, he racked up 10-plus in the point category as well as notching 10 in assists. So big improvements from him. You throw him on the starting unit, he balls out. Throw him on the bench unit, he balls out. He can be a man of the future for the franchise. Darius Baisley, same with him too. He has a lot of potential with our team. Ended up struggling all in all though. He shot just 4 of 15 in the game, got only 9 points. Did not really seem too comfortable in the game. He was kind of just doubting himself. He had plenty of opportunities where he had a mismatch on him. He could have penetrated. He had a wide open three. Instead, he just wants to dribble the ball around, kind of give the defense time to recollect itself and adjust to what Baisley is doing. Kind of just hurt him overall. I think he should have been a lot more aggressive on the night. Take the open look. First chance you get at it. It's kind of just stalling out in the corner, sitting back there, and then, you know, if he got the ball, he wasn't really looking to do anything with it. He would just wait and then give a little flimsy pass to one of his teammates. He ended up getting two turnovers on the night. Uh, I mean, a little bit risky on how he was playing. I think he just needs to be playing a lot more aggressive. And at times, he was kind of just trying to press the issue with some of his shots. Like, he would just be straight passive. And then at times, he'll just do like some crazy 
contested jumper that's like, why would you do that? Just ease up on that. We all know he's a great player. Just give it time. Ah, uh, wasn't his night. You just got to look on to the next game. The bench trio of Justin Jackson, Darius Miller, and Mike Muscala, they all did solid. Uh, Justin Jackson had nine. Miller had eight. Muscala had six. And a good thing with Muscala, he actually had his season high of seven assists in the game. So the centers were playing pretty huge part in distributing the basketball. In Oklahoma City, they will have another chance at getting a W. They're going to be facing off against the Denver Nuggets on Friday night. The Nuggets, they're sitting at 13 and 11. OKC's 10 and 14. Maybe boost up the Thunder once in the win column and knock the Nuggets down a peg. I'll make sure to keep you all posted for that game. But moving on, I'm going to be talking about the G League. The Oklahoma City Blue, they're kicking off their season this morning against the Salt Lake City Stars. You're going to be able to catch this one at 10.30 a.m. And it's going to be on ESPN+. This is not any regional kind of locked game. Um, you're not going to see this on Fox Sports Oklahoma. Blue games, you're going to see all those on the ESPN Plus's little world, ESPNU, think you got two games on Twitch. So regardless, you know, if you're subscribing to ESPN Plus and all that, it doesn't matter. The, the Twitch ones, those are free. You just got to check the G League's Twitch and you will find the link right there. Catch the game live and even rewatch the plays later on. But the blue, this marks their first game of the season while for Salt Lake City, They've already played. They played yesterday against the Erie Bayhawks back when the uh, the affiliate, they went by uh, the Tulsa 66ers. I remember them playing the Erie Bayhawks all the time. They were beasts, and apparently they still are pretty good because they straight up annihilated the Stars on Wednesday. They took the game by 19 points, but Salt Lake City, they have a chance to adjust in the second game of their back-to-back -back series. The main guy you need to be looking out for on the Stars is point guard Yogi Ferrell. I'm surprised he's even in the G League. I I don't know like what happened to him. He kind of just kind of reappeared in my mind when I was checking down the rosters because he seriously was an NBA-level point guard. He was just balling out whenever he played for the Kings and the Mavericks. So I don't know like where the drop-off happened. It definitely was just sudden though because he went from being a great rotational piece off an NBA bench to now just playing in Salt Lake City, Utah. And I, I don't know. I mean, they have a really good player in Farrell. I'm shocked that he has been out of the league. Like, as I mentioned, I would have I just like imagined he'd still be playing right now. He's only, what? I think he's only like 28. Eight years old? No, he's 27. 27 years old. And he's playing in the G League right now. So he is going to be great for them. You need to be watching out because he's he's kind of surprising. He's six feet tall. Looks even shorter than that on the television screen. But he can get you scoring anywhere on the floor. He's great on penetrations. Got the mid-range game. And he can sure shoot the ball. Even passing. Pretty solid. So that's the star you focus on. Outside of that... I mean, everybody else, they probably are going to have some sort of stretches. You got to do the uh, the essentials. 
No easy buckets in the paint. Limiting Farrell and then all the other guys. You don't want to see them get hot from three. Think for the blue though. They have a lot of just really powerful options on the squad. And I'm going to be doing a huge breakdown on this G League squad probably over the weekend. So right here, I'm kind of just giving like a little brief summary on all the main guys but i want to expand on all of them because they all have very great stories i think they can all be great players not just for the blue but even later on potentially playing in the nba and for some of them i mean they're already on nba deals so you got to start with pokachevsky though he's one of the main guys who got assigned to the blue came with a lot of uh heat from the fans and media alike but this is probably going to be good for him I mean, Pokachevsky has looked a little bit streaky in the Thunder jersey. He's been great blocking shots, getting rebounds, shooting. He has looked confident when he goes up for it, but he just has not found his mark yet. The blue is going to make him not just a viable option as a shooter. You know, he's going to have the ball in his hands. So if he wants to pop it, he's going to continue to do so. He's going to get his rebounds. He's going to be working on his defense. But just everything in his game is going to get kind of increased and more magnified tenfold with the blue in Orlando. Big playmaker over in Europe and with the Thunder, he sometimes had the ball in his hands, but not nearly as much as he did whenever he played in Europe. So I could see him taking the ball up as a seven foot power forward, see him running the offense he's great going inside and pulling off some cross-court jump passes you want to see that from poku and you want to see him catching some bodies now you know i don't know if he's got any crazy highlight dunks but i think he's going to be driving inside a lot more he's really just been a perimeter guy sometimes he'll creep into the mid-range like free throw area and shoot but he has not gotten down low unless he's by himself pretty much he's not driving in to make shots maybe that's a point of emphasis you could see from alexi in the bubble and hey i think you know you can say if he plays terrible it, it might crush his confidence even more but there's a lot of reward to being in this developmental program getting the required attention needed he's the youngest guy out of his draft class i think in a prior episode i mentioned that jalen green's like maybe like a month or two younger than Pokachevsky is. I'm definitely going to bring that up whenever we uh, play the Ignite team, by the way. Just so you know, I'll get you the exact day. But he's he's pretty much like a guy in the Ignite team when it comes down to age. So he's getting the care needed from the blue coaching staff, and he should be a long part of this future for the squad. Other guy on the 15-man rotation, it's Ty Jerome. He's going to be back off his left ankle sprain. Boy, that was a bad sprain. Didn't even see him in preseason. Didn't see him in regular season. First bit of action will come in a blue uniform. Six foot five, sharpshooting facilitator. Didn't shoot that well with the Suns last season, but at Virginia, shooting around 40% from outside and passing it. A really great assist to turnover ratio. Very smart. Uh, he's not a very fast guy at 6'5". You're going to see that in these games. The pace he plays with is a lot different than that we've seen from SGA, Maladone, Diallo, whoever's playing at the one. He's a different guy. He likes slowing it down. He's an old school point guard. 
He's not taking you on ISO. If he gets like a high ball screen, maybe he can work on trying to go in on penetrations. But he's really just about waiting, being patient, and making the correct reads. Hopefully he's able to develop with us. He's had a bad stretch of injuries, kind of plaguing his career. Maybe the blue will finally give him his first opportunity to grow as a player and come back to the Thunder lineup as a really good rotational piece for us. Now, talking about the Thunder's two two-way contracts, you start it with Josh Hall. He's been a corner sitter in his nine games with the Thunder. Didn't really see the court like near enough. I know there's a lot of hype surrounding him after his first few games, but he didn't really have the minutes needed to go crazy or anything. Very athletic ball handler, six foot eight, former five star. He has a lot of skills just waiting to be untapped with the lineup. He can create, he can drive, he can pass, and he can slam the basketball down. Perfect kind of mold that you have. Uh, very good prototype three slash four. I don't know if he grows into the four. I think Baisley is more like that, but kind of similar style to Baisley, except you'd probably play him at that three next to him. That's what That would be my suggestion, at least. You got something there with Hall for sure, though. And then Moses Brown. Moses Brown, he's seven foot two. In G League standards, this guy is going to be a giant. We saw it with Dakari Johnson. He literally looked like Andre Drummond when he played for the Blue. And then, you know, once he got called up to the Thunder, didn't really see much in him. Just one of those dominant forces who, on smaller opponents, is going to absolutely feast. Do not be surprised if Moses Brown not only leads us in rebounds, but he may be close to the top in points just due to him being so tall in a league that generally is pretty short at the five position. Had three points and 2.1 rebounds in 4.4 minutes with the Thunder. Always came in at the end of games and was a bright spot. So see him play. Would have been great to see him with this eight-man rotations we've had lately. Didn't really have a true center. I think you could test Moses Brown in those spots. You're going to be able to test him long minutes with the blue, though, and see if you can maybe convert him later on into the year and see him playing with the Thunder for the foreseeable future. And you got some G League studs who, they are with the squad. They are not linked to the Thunder, though. They're not on a two-way. They're not on a full contract. They're just playing with the affiliate. The main dude is Melvin Frazier Jr., and I am a huge fan of him. I said on Twitter, I mean, if there were, everyone's making like fan clubs on certain players. I have not seen one yet with Melvin Frazier on it. So I am putting my claim on the Melvin Frazier Jr. fan club. I think he is going to become the pleasant surprise of the Orlando bubble. And he could be at a point where not just the Thunder should be calling for him to get converted up into the big leagues, but every team should. He has everything you want in a player he's six foot five seven foot two inch wingspan he can play defense at the two through four positions and with the thunder who always are about constantly switching one through five melvin frazier can get that done for you he is one of the best players at stealing the basketball in the g league averaging over two with lakeland last season and he looks good as a catch and shoot player you see him oftentimes in the corner sometimes he'll kind of eke out to the wings but generally, you see him being the man off of drive and dishes, and he's very solid at it. He also can finish with that wingspan. 
don't be a, like shocked if you see him just grabbing it and wanting to slash inside for a layup because he can do that. And he has a pretty solid pull up. He has all the basic skills you want, even a little bit of passing in there too. So he, he's a three and D guy who has potential to work interiorly and rebound wise. He's actually a freak too, because when he's going up against other shooting guards, they don't have seven foot two inch wingspan. If he gets it, He's going to go right over the top of his defender with those long arms of his. So, brings everything you want. He's only 24, so you have some sort of youth there. Will be awesome to see him grow with the squad. And there's even some kind of fortified veterans with this group too. Saw Antonius Cleveland and Chasson Randall get inked to some Exhibit 10s back in December. Same happened with Frazier, but Frazier's on the younger side. He's 24. Antonius Cleveland's 27 and Chasson Randall is 28. Antonius Cleveland and Randall, if you guys played 2K, you already know these guys were, when they were in the league, some pretty low overall bronzes, but they have some pretty solid skills to them. Cleveland is more of your shot creator guy. I don't know consistency wise if he's always going to be there, but he can shoot. So there may be a couple nights where he could rack up a, a nice performance in the scoring category. And with Randall, he's more of like a facilitator, more of the generic point guard. Unlike Jerome, who's more slow, Randall, he's all about pushing the pace. So that's kind of the guy that fits more with the Thunder's scheme. Always on edge when it comes to things, making good reads when he's attacking, and he can also penetrate. So like it from him, should be able to help out players such as Ty Jerome, as well as all the other guards, just helping them improve on their game. And then you even got younger prospects at the guard that can be taught a lot from Cleveland and Randall with Xavier Simpson and Rob Edwards. Those were their first and second round draft choices in the G League draft. Simpson out of Michigan, he's kind of a moldable guy at the one spot. Rob Edwards, he's kind of more of that shot creator. I think both of them, they can kind of have those nights where they look unstoppable I think everyone that I just listed seriously could have games where they're dropping 20 points. There's way too many parts to this squad to where I think you're going to see like one or two people break out and everybody just kind of submerge a little bit. I think everybody's going to be at even ground and there's going to be nights where you see the Josh Halls of the world dropping 35 and next game they're getting like 11 points or whatever. And then there's nights where you're going to see the Rob Edwards and the Melvin Frazier's cracking 20 plus in a game. And that should just be how it goes. A lot of threats here. I think they seriously could make a play in the long run in Orlando. And it will be fun to watch them. And it's going to be a great one. If you guys are able to catch the game at 1030, highly suggested on ESPN Plus. You're going to see a lot of morning games. So if you kind of wake up early, have the free time in the morning, this will definitely be worth your while for the months of February and March. So stay tuned. I'll make sure to give a recap on this game tomorrow. I don't know uh, exactly if I'm going to be doing like huge pieces on the G League team. I love them. Uh, personally, I would love to talk about the G League all the time. I'm all about player development. But if you guys just want to hear more about the main team, maybe I can kind of sum down what I'm talking about, maybe get my main points across with a G League from now on, like five, 10 minute segments or whatnot before I talk about OKC. But love this team to death. A lot of great guys. 
to be talking about and should be some nice stories to come along with it. But other than that, guys, that is going to wrap up today's podcast. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.